0: And welcome into In Focus here on News Radio KMAN. I'm Nick McNamara here in studio for Brandon Peoples. Later in the program, we'll have a preview around, I'd say, the uh, 45-minute mark of the 9 o'clock hour with uh, Little Apple Prides' Jonathan Mertz. We'll be talking about the upcoming event at the end of the week. Before we get into that conversation, though, we have a good 45 minutes here with uh, Riley County Historical Museum Director Alana Parker. Alana, thanks for coming in and well meeting with me on Zoom at the very least.
1: Yes, well good morning. Thank you so much for having us every month and being able to share about Riley County history. There is no shortage of topics to cover um and there's a, a lot of fun. Oh, the wind's really blowing. Just blew a chair across the <laughs> across oh the deck. Here. No, oh
0: no. Well, hopefully the chair's okay out there.
1: It looks like it's okay, but it was softly loud on this end. So <laughs> Sorry about that. No worries. But, I didn't
0: hear too much of it on this end. So hopefully everyone at home uh, w- wasn't too perturbed by that either.
1: <laughs> well, thank you. But um, again, so today, we uh, thought we would talk about, especially with, aside from today, it's a little cool outside, but um, with the weather warming up in spring, um, being able to get outside a little bit more, we thought we'd talk about Manhattan City Park in the history surrounding that Um really great place to to visit here in our community. So I thought we'd talk a little bit about the history there and, um, it has been there since the beginning of the, the plodding of the town side of Manhattan. So um, we've got a lot to share on that.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a true focal point of the community. And I, I live in City Park West, so it's it's basically my backyard. Um, I, I can just walk out of my house and I'm like a minute away from the area. So it's it's kind of the first thing I've seen when I first moved to Manhattan. That was like the place I was at. I would go outside and that would kind of be where I would sort of focus in when I was trying to get to know the town and understand where things exactly are. I would just kind of start there and venture out from that location.
1: Very neat. Yes, you live close there, even if you don't live close to there, but uh, to be close, you can just go over there. There are so much to do, whether it's the playground, the tennis courts, the trail around City Park. Um, but as I said, the City Park has been there since the beginning of the plating of uh, Manhattan. And so um, originally, I did want to mention one of uh, my favorite artifacts that we have at the museum, uh, it's currently on exhibit, is a map that belonged to Isaac Goodnow, um, original settler of the town of New Boston that became Manhattan. His name is on the map, um, and it is an 1856 map. And right there in the middle, you see the city park laid out. Um, originally 45 acres, it's the same 45 acres that we have today. Uh, but I just love that you can see that that's, uh, the foresight that they had in 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 laying out a community, um, having a city park that was central in building around that. Um, and then eventually Manhattan becoming known as the city of trees. It was those pioneers that really made an effort to plant the trees, um, some of what we see today. So uh, you look at photographs from some of the earliest ones we have in um, the 1860s. It is pretty barren out here in Riley County. Um, don't have the trees that we see today. So, as I mentioned, it, those pioneers were the ones who really made an earnest effort to plant those trees, and um, as a result, we have a beautiful city park today.
0: Yeah, I know. If you were to, I'm sure you have this photo at the museum, but if someone were to go out and look at the old photos of, like, say, Bluemont Hill, for example. Um, the trees, you can see on it today, uh, there's like an old photo of when they first put up the sign or the letters up there. It's barren. It's a completely bare tr- uh, uh, hill up there, and uh, except for the letters at that point. No trees, none of the none of the greenery you see up there was there.
1: Right. Well, and even um, so the, the water basin that was up there, the first waterworks that was from 1887, um, you could even see that. And now I just went up there actually a couple weeks ago with my family. Um, and you've got to navigate those trees to get up there to that concrete slab where that uh, water reservoir was. So um, yes, those trees, it, those pioneers, that's what they envisioned was a, a landscape with trees. And of course, many of them coming from New England. Um, they had those trees and uh, wanted to have the same kind of landscape or, or change it a little bit here. Um, of course, now we have those cedar trees that pop up everywhere that you kind of have to get rid of. but. Um, yeah, we just have a, a beautiful community, and and so the city park and um, really contributed to this idea of uh, Manhattan being kind of a city of trees.
0: It's hard to envision that space without the trees there. Now that you now that we're getting into that topic, it's I can't envision the park without it being dotted and filled with the trees that are there today. I mean, of course, that's I'm a product of experiencing it in its current state. If, but I, just having the vision of what it could be is it's kind of mind blowing to think about how they set about creating. What it is now.
1: Right. Well, in that transformation. um, So, initially, down in City Park was where the Riley County Fair was held. Um, So, there was actually a half mile uh, racetrack around um, half of the park that was on uh, the north end of the park. Um, and it was it was fun kind of finding some of the um, newspaper articles about that with the racetrack. Apparently, there was some gambling going on, uh, which was very frowned upon by some of the other um, residents of the city. So they had to, to do away with that. Um, but that was part of, of the racetrack. There were two individuals in Manhattan. Um, one owned a livery stable uh, that had racehorses, and they did have jockeys. And uh, we've got a really great photograph where you can see... Um, part of the racetrack, the horses lined up there, and they actually had little um, kind of buggies or wagons that they would pull, too. Um, so we've got a great photograph of that that you can actually see that was there in Manhattan City Park. So I think thinking about a racetrack being down there is really hard to imagine when we're talking about the, the transformation of what we see today.
0: Yeah. W- when you talk about the track's route, um, you say it was around half of it. I noticed there's that middle road through the park. Is that sort of a, a like a legacy of that old track, or is that something that came after that?
1: Well, that actually kind of follows that path. So it was, as I mentioned, that the north side of city park, um so the the long lot, long trail, um it was east to west is how it how it ran. So yes, that does kind of follow that same same path there. Um, So we had a a racetrack there, and I'm sure many people um, are aware of that. And up until recently, even on uh, satellite imagery, you could still kind of make out where that racetrack was. If you look at modern day maps in the satellite, Um, which is really neat, too. Um, But it's also thinking about we had a racetrack there. um, We also had a brick factory, and that was at 11th and Leavenworth Street. That was in the 1860s and 1870s. Um, so that was operated by the Ulrich Brothers, who did many of the um, buildings we see today in downtown Manhattan, um, limestone buildings, but they had a brick factory there. And so it's thought that that depression in front of Johnny Kaw was made of that's where they were digging the clay for the bricks. So if you ever are around that, of course, there's a lot of work that's been done recently. um, But it was thought that that was where they were getting the clay for the bricks was in that um, kind of depression area there that was in that southeast corner of the park. So that's another neat piece of history there, too, to think we had a brick factory right there in City Park.
0: And now it's basically um, during a hard rain, it can essentially be a small little pond at the right time of day.
1: Yes, and we have wonderful volunteers at the museum, and um, one in particular, she said that she remembered actually ice skating down there in that um, southeast portion of the um, park there because of that depression filled, filled with water. So it would fill with enough um, to where you could ice skate in the wintertime.
0: I think that's pretty cool that they've maintained some of those. Uh, in a way, you you have the the trails that it, like the the horse track or horse racing track. Pardon me, um, that's being preserved in the the existence of these trails and sidewalks around it. And then you still have some of the old ice skating legacy uh, in what goes on at the. Um, at the facility there, at the park as well. So it's interesting how they've maintained some of the historical activities in kind of a different, more modern way as well.
1: Right. It is a center of recreation there. there are <laughs> a diverse array of things that you can you can do down there in City Park.
0: I think we'll take a, our first break of the morning, and when we come back, we'll talk more about the history of Manhattan City Park here on In Focus News Radio KMAN. And we are back here on In Focus News Radio KMAN. Talking about Riley County history, specifically history of Manhattan City Park here with Historical Museum Director Alana Parker. We also have a caller on the line. Robert has a call about the history of the trees here at City Park. And we're going to give him an opportunity to bring up some uh, relevant conversation. Robert, go ahead.
2: Well, there has been fruit trees. You know, with the land-grant university, it was good to have the fruit trees around town. Over on 17th was some apple trees up at uh, Raton and uh, 10th is a wonderful uh, cherry tree and huge uh, acorns all up through there towards the country club. And, uh, you know, with the uh, poverty that comes through the area every 10 years, it would be a good idea to have the fruit trees planted so that those homeless or folks that are having trouble could get uh, some fruits during the harvest time of the trees. Um, you know, the 1920s uh, time, uh, my great uncle came up from McPherson to the university, and I don't know if he's a student or just observed the class, but he learned about the water and plants and went home with, I don't know if he just took the strawberries or he bought them, but took the strawberry plants back to Rattlesnake Hill there in McPherson County and uh, started terracing the spring ground on that hill. And of course, great grandpa just had a fit that they were wasting their time. <laughs> but when that those uh, strawberries grew, he was able to take them down to the train station there in Canton, Kansas, and was able to pay the taxes on the farm. And that was a big deal. Thanks for the land grant university here and the thinking about the plants and the how good they could contribute to the welfare and the well being of the citizens. Thank you for expanding our memory and our thinking about that.
0: Oh well thank you, Robert.
2: Yes, yeah, thank
1: you. Very... Um do
0: you, yeah, do you know much about uh, the fruit trees at the at Manhattan City Park as well? I don't know if there was uh if you have any information on maybe the types of trees as well that were dotted around City Park.
1: Well, actually, that's I'm thankful that Robert called because one thing I wanted to mention is if you go online, uh, Riley County Extension actually did a Manhattan City Park tree walk. Um, So if you Google, um, you just Google that Manhattan City Park, uh, Kansas tree walk, and there's an entire map of the different kinds of trees all around Manhattan City Park. And I think that is just so neat to have uh, that as a resource. And it does have a section um, on this pamphlet. So it's a printable pamphlet. Um, some of the the history of the park there as well. So that's a, a wonderful resource. And I'm so glad he mentioned that, but um, I'll have to do a little more research though, specifically on, you know, when those trees were planted and that's very interesting. And, um, you know, talking about, I'm glad he brought up Kansas State University and being an agricultural college. Of course, a lot of what the city park was used for was for agriculture. As I mentioned, the Riley County Fair started um, in Manhattan city park there. Um, as early as 1869. So you can go to the Kansas State Historical Society and they have digitized uh, documents. Um, For example, that's the 10th Annual Riley County Fair Program. Um, So this was from 1872. They had bicycle races, um, a race for the slowest mule, a tug of war, a foot race, an apple race, and sack race. Um, But most importantly, As part of the fair, they had, um, of course, showing of different types of agriculture. Um, So Floral Hall there um, in the northeast corner of City Park, uh, that limestone kind of hexagonal building, that's what that was intended for, um, was to showcase different types of uh, fruit and um, any kind of um, livestock, they have different type of um, 4-H or excuse me, um, fair type things, I think 4-H, uh, they're in that floral hall there in the northeast corner of the park. So um, yeah, a lot of lot of agricultural history too and Washington Marlotte, um, I'm sure that name sounds familiar, was heavily involved in agriculture. Um, and the Riley County Fair there and, and getting, I think he was really instrumental in getting different types of, of trees planted there. So I'm so glad he called and, and mentioned that because, yes, you should look up if you're interested, that tree walk that Riley County Extension has
3: available.
0: Definitely. And um, we're going to change gears slightly to talk about some of the uh, more built rather than grown um, Structures going on at the city park as well. and something of note if you're kind of in the middle of city park is that old log that old log cabin located there. Um, and there's a few other things in the general vicinity as well. but that you've noted you noted while well before we got back on air that there was some work done there and very recently
1: yes uh, so first to to kind of anybody who's not familiar, we frequently have people stop by the museum and they're curious what is that little log cabin there in the middle of? Manhattan City Park. And that is, we call it the Pioneer Log Cabin. That is the very first Riley County Historical Museum built in 1916. So it was constructed 1915, opened in 1916. Um, It's just a one room cabin, has fireplaces on both both ends of it. And that was where the Riley County Historical Society first started collecting um, for its museum. So that just has such a rich history, uh, especially related to the museum there. Um, It is made entirely of walnut logs. Um, Well, I'll get to to what else it's made of, but uh, we have some incredible photographs of it actually being constructed. It's about double the size of a typical cabin and, as I mentioned, has fireplaces um, at either end. And so in the earliest days of the historical society they did actually use those fireplaces of course we're talking about 1916 they needed the fireplaces for heating um, the building um, so and I, as i mentioned what it was also built out of the cornerstone on the northeast corner of the cabin was taken from the wall of bluemont central college and it does contain historical documents as kind of a time capsule. Um, so that's one of my favorite little pieces of history about the pioneer log cabin. And then the stone from the southeast corner of the cabin is from the government bridge on at Juniata. So that was, they had um, the Rocky Ford, well near Rocky Ford, so the bridge was built in 1855 and it washed out after an ice jam in 1856, And so they were able to take uh, a piece of the stone, and that was also used as one of the cornerstones for the cabin. Um, And if you go, so, of course, I did want to back up. Um, The cabin is open now. It's seasonal, so it's open on Sundays from 2 to 5. Even back in 1916, it was open Sundays, uh, which is really neat. We have maintained that history. Um, But if you go to the cabin and on one of the days that it's not open, um, you will see some limestone millstones outside. And those are from the Mitchell Mill, which was on Clark's Creek, just three miles from Ogden. Um, And so Mitchell County is named for William Mitchell, um, who was a Civil War soldier and part of the family that owned the mill. And then some of the pieces around the window Um, in front of the cabin are from the First Presbyterian Church, uh, which was located on the corner of 5th and Points Avenue from 1870 um, until it relocated where it is today in 1916. So just in this one cabin, you know, just mentioned all those pieces of history uh, that come together there to to showcase our our very first Riley County Historical Museum. So we are so thankful for what we have today. Uh, Of course, our main museum building is at 2309 Claflin Road. Um, and it is full of just incredible artifacts um, and thankfully those donors um, that we've had that, that donate those artifacts um, so we can showcase Raleigh County history and, and a, a big thank you to those back in 1916, um, well even before that, the society founded in 1914, who had the idea of collecting, the importance of collecting our history here in Manhattan and Riley County.
0: Yeah, it's pretty neat how they how even in the design of the building, it's it's in and of itself, sort of preserving history here in Riley County. Um, it seems like very very thoughtful in their choice of uh, how they went about making the building itself.
1: Yes, um, and did want to mention while we spoke. Uh, recently there was some work done on the cabin so it looks beautiful we're so thankful for that um, and there is a new exhibit inside the cabin um, so it looks like as if you were to go into a cabin in territorial Kansas and, and what that might be like uh, we do have hands-on things for for students and children when they go in they can sit on a corn husk bed that have the rope supports on it um, you can get a sense of what that's like and a coffee mill. So we like to have things where it's interactive for people who come in to visit.
0: And I'm, I must say, it's, I'm sure you're glad that you're, uh, while you, we have the building, of course, I'm sure you're glad that maybe there's a new facility to work in as well. Um, it looks a little tight. Maybe there might be a little difficult to do the, to all the operations y'all do today and a building of that uh, uh, character. <laughs>
1: Of course. Well, as I mentioned, um, we're so thankful for all the donors who have helped build the society's collection of artifacts. Um, So we actually have over 70,000 just three-dimensional artifacts alone. And so that really gives us an opportunity to rotate things out with different exhibits. We have exhibits throughout the county, um, whether it's up in Riley at the City Library and the Riley County Office Building. Um, So it all started right there in that little log cabin.
0: You mentioned there's a time capsule. In that, uh, in that cabin as well. And I'm curious if it's ever been opened yet, and if there's ever any plans to maybe open that. I, I know it's a cornerstone, so opening that might be a little problematic.
1: Right. To my knowledge, it has not been. Um, so I, from what I understand, it has been there since it was constructed in 1916. And of course, using that piece from the Bluemont Central College, which was the precursor to Kansas State University, um, located right up the road there on College and Claflin Avenue. I think that is just such a neat piece of history there, too, because that was another one of the primary great focus is of those who came to uh, to establish the the city they wanted to promote education and and build a college that way people could learn uh, like Isaac Goodnow, he was one of those founders so I just I love that piece too um, all of these different elements of, of history coming together as part of this log cabin is, is pretty interesting
0: do you have any idea what's what's inside of it
1: I hear it is some um, kind of the dedication um, of the Um, Pioneer Log Cabin. Aside from that, I do not know. That is a great question. I will definitely have to research more into that um, because I would be very interested to know what all is in there. But um, from what I have found that, that it was just one of the dedication pamphlets, I know that's in there, which would obviously, that'd be an obvious thing to to make sense. But um, yes, I will definitely have to look into that one though. I'm Uh very curious too.
0: Yeah. You know, when you mentioned time capsule, I always, there's like, I don't know if it's like a uh, like mystery hunter type uh, like like a bolt goes off in my head or something. but I just I become so curious about what's in there the second it's mentioned. It just feels like a secret and I want to know. Um, before we go off to a break, though, there is something near the log cabin as well that I think is pretty interesting and I, um, it's, it's kind of an obelisk is how I generally refer to it. It's an obelisk looking structure, but it's that Tatarax monument right out kind of adjacent to the uh, log cabin.
1: Yes, and I think the last time we spoke, we we mentioned that as well, Um, but that is, as you said, called the Tataracs Monument. And so a little bit of the history about where that originated from. Um, So we're going way back to 1540 to 1541 um, when Coronado led an expedition from Mexico in search of the Golden Seven Cities of Cebola. So they reached Quivera, which was supposedly near present-day Manhattan, um, before they retreated back to Mexico. Um, So the expedition was told that the land beyond Quivira was called Harahay, and the leader of its people, Chief Tataraks. So the people of Harahay were very most likely um, Pawnee. And then there was an archaeologist named Brower from Minnesota who explored the valleys of the Kansas and the Smoky Rivers. Uh, So this would have been around 1896 to 1898, and discovered the remains of um, ancient villages. And so um, through all this, he thought he rediscovered uh, Quivira and that Harahay was in the area of Riley County and other adjacent counties. Um, so because of this, the Quivira Historical Society in 1901 put up these uh, monuments. They're an obelisk, as you said. Um, So there is also one in Alma, in Harrington, in Junction City. So Manhattan has the fourth one. Um, So that is the origin story of that monument, Um, and it was to, as I said, commemorate that um, search that Coronado started there um, in the 1540s. Um, and uh, we spoke about that last time. There's a really great picture of the dedication of that monument. Um, we'll have to put that up on our, our website, but you can also find it through the Kansas State Historical Society. They have what's called Kansas Memory in their digitized collections. It's just a great photo uh, that you can see of the, the dedication of that monument.
0: Was the location of uh, Quivera ever confirmed or is this kind of uh, like a lost city type situation?
1: To my understanding, it's a lost city kind of situation, but there might be somebody listening who knows more about that. But um, to my knowledge, of course, this was not really the, the area. They just they thought it was. And so they put up those four four monuments in those four cities. And we are one of them. And it's, as you said, still there today in City Park. And it's just outside just east of the Pioneer Log Cabin.
0: Yeah, go check it out if you haven't. And if you've ever wondered what it is, well, there's some more information on it. If you have any more information on Quivera you would like to share, call it in 537-1350, or you can email it to us at the studio. And just on, I'm personally curious about it myself. So let's take a break. We'll be back with a little bit more here on uh, Manhattan City Park history with Riley County Historical Museum Director Alana Parker. On In Focus, News Radio KMAN. And we're back here on In Focus, News Radio KMAN. Nick McDamara here, talking about Manhattan City Park history with Riley County Historical Museum Director Alana Parker. And we talked a little bit about the log cabin and the Tatterax Monument out front, but there's also something out front of the log cabin that we want to get into a little briefly here as we move into this conversation more. But uh, it's regarding some of those, uh, something to do with cannons.
1: Yes, Nick, thank you. Um, I've forgotten to mention this because it's an important piece of our history. If you've been to the um, Pioneer Log Cabin, you'll notice that there are two concrete bases that look like they had something on them and they did. Um, There are two cannon mounds that are just outside the cabin. One held a Civil War cannon and the other had a Spanish-American War cannon and both were installed and dedicated in 1937. So unfortunately, both were lost to the World War II. Well, I shouldn't say unfortunately, because that's obviously an important um, effort during World War II, but they were given to the scrap drive during World War II. Um, But there was a community compromised that the cannon in Sunset Cemetery would be spared if the two just outside the log cabin were donated to the scrap drive there in World War II. Um, So if you've been up to Sunset Cemetery, you'll see the Civil War cannon there, that was spared, while the other two were donated, as I mentioned, to the scrap drive. Um, one thing that we are working on at the museum, uh, of course, if you go up to those, there's really no context. You're not sure if you're if you're not familiar with Manhattan history what those are. So we are working on a project to provide some interpretation for those Um, of course it's it's kind of important that they um you know it had been mentioned maybe if we had a replica can in there or we're kind of working on figuring out what the best way to interpret those or that history what that would be Um, but it's kind of important to to show that they're they're no longer there because it went to an important cause with the scrap drive Um, so in looking at some of the newspaper articles um, we can find um, there's one here in the manhattan mercury uh, rally to send cannon to war. Civil war relic will be dedicated to fight against the Axis powers. Um, a cannon used in the war to free the United States from one form of human slavery will go to war against the Axis in the struggle to free this country and the world at large from a newer, in, from, from a newer and worse slavery. It is the big old cannon believed a relic of the Civil War that has stood guard in Sunset Cemetery for years, almost beyond a memory of living residents of Manhattan. So that's kind of interesting in looking at the newspaper article, how it covered um, that donation there of, of those canons. So um wanted to, to mention that piece of history. Um, and again, it's to, to be able to go back and, and see how it was interpreted in the papers. And then, of course, now um, you go to the log cabin and those are, are no longer there. So wanted to make sure to mention that. That's an important piece of history um, there.
0: I always find the framing and the way they go about telling the stories in the newspapers interesting as well. So. I appreciate you reading those articles from a, from a newsperson's perspective, as it gives me a look back not just on the physical history of Riley County and Manhattan, but on the journalistic history of Riley County and Manhattan to see how people talk about things and to see the way that they uh, these these important newspaper folk would go about reporting on these things. It's, it does provide a little bit of interesting history, not just into the uh, to the like physical existence of uh, items and. Uh, artifacts here in Manhattan, but also into the the mental history and artifacts that are still existing in the presence of that, uh, in the presence of those newspaper articles.
1: Yes, and of course, and, and how they mentioned um, in talking about um, what it's going to fight against. And, and I think that, yes, is very important to mention as well, just how things are interpreted then and um, would be different today and how how journalistically, how things are approached. So absolutely.
0: And um, also going, you know, it's kind of a skip away, but not that far away, especially if you look upwards. It's, it's, he's quite tall. Um, someone very prominent in the city park, of course, is Johnny Kaw. We mentioned the, the pit nearby as well that may have been used for a uh, brick clay collection or clay brick collection, um, which is now kind of a puddle at times. But there's also a very nice Decorated platform out there now as well, with a little bit of information and some some interesting design work going on just to kind of adorn the Johnny Kaw site as well. But um, my understanding is that's been maybe about like a 70 year history out there, that, that specific area with Johnny Kaw's statue.
1: Yes. Well, Johnny Kaw, um, he, he is known as. Fake lore, not folklore. Um, So Johnny (laughs) Caw was invented by a professor named George Fillinger, and he was invented to help commemorate the Manhattan Centennial in 1955. So um, Professor Fillinger Fillinger wrote the story, and then Elmer Tomash did the illustrations for the story of Johnny Caw. And so it was 11 years later, so 1966, when the statue on the southeast corner of City Park, known as Johnny Caw today, was built. He was built to be taller than Paul Bunyan, which is fun. So, and it is funny. People who aren't familiar with the story, if they come to the museum, they want to know what that Paul Bunyan statue is in City Park. And so, it's a lot of fun to tell that story. Well, it's not um, not Paul Bunyan. It's um, he's even taller. It's Johnny Caw. So um, he represents was intended to represent the original Kansas wheat farmer in his pioneer spirit and virtues. He holds a cradle scythe for harvesting wheat. Um, so, I, as you mentioned, the work that has been done there is incredible to be able, um, went there just a couple weeks ago to, to look at the work that has been done. Um, you can actually get up a little closer to, to see Johnny Ka. Um I know there was a telephone pole there at one time that has been relocated, so it just looks beautiful. And we did do an exhibit on Johnny Kaa not too long ago. Um and have some of those illustrations and everything, just kind of like Paul Bunyan was known for. Uh, Johnny Kaw had his um, things that he was known for um, for with Kansas history. So um, a lot of fun, you can read that story. We do have it available at the Riley County Historical Museum if you're actually interested in in reading the book. Um, And again, that was part of celebrating Manhattan Centennial there in 1955. And um, we still have Johnny Kaw there in City Park today.
0: Yeah, it was one of the things that was had to be explained to me upon arrival. I've been here since twenty seventeen, so maybe not. I'm not like the newest person on the block by any means, but you know, when I first arrived, I definitely was looking for a blue ox in the area. But uh, then I was a, explained just how wrong I was, and I understood. I I, I came to understand Johnny Kaw and his important history here in the area. Well, at least important history in the last seventy years or so.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun to read that story. And that's yeah. It's just a, an iconic Manhattan um, piece of history. And I know um, during the the fundraising drive to to get that project going, there were the bobbleheads, the Johnny Cobb bobbleheads, and uh, so we still have those for sale at the Riley County Historical Museum. If you're interested in a Johnny Cobb bobblehead, um, we do have those available. I know I couldn't wait to get one, and um, so I've got that with me. So. There's yeah a lot of lot to do there in Manhattan City Park
0: and with Dave Lewis um, being here in the in the past you his his presence at, with Johnny Caw and his role with Johnny Caw um, you might imagine we have a few of those around the studio as well still Of those bobbleheads
1: you know I don't know what it is when I think of Johnny Caw too I think of Dave. <laughs> you're right because his involvement with that so
0: yeah he, he's done some voice work for johnny in the past so yes. um they, he's he, we got some perks so we have some of the we have johnny is standing around occasionally if you walk into a room there might be a few johnny eyes looking at you depending on where you go Very but neat. we are coming up on the end of our time here i did want to give you a chance to uh, plug anything going on at the museum that you wanted to publicize and otherwise we, always great to see you alana
1: well thank you nick um i can just say um, we welcome anybody to, to please come to the museum and visit, learn about some Riley County history. We still have our women's suffrage exhibit on display. We have a research library. Whatever you are interested in researching, whether it's your home, family history, um, you can make an appointment and come look at our, our research library. And there is no shortage of things to learn. That's a wonderful thing about this job. You learn something new every single day.
0: And you always help us out with learning some things when you come on, too. So greatly appreciated. Nice seeing you. And I hope you have a great rest of your day.
1: Thank you, Nick. You
0: too. All right. Stay tuned. We're going to have a preview of Little Apple Pride with Jonathan Mertz coming up shortly here on In Focus, News Radio KMAN. And we're back here on In Focus, News Radio KMAN. Nick McNamara here in the studio. Thanks again to Alana. Always great to get a chance to visit with her. Always wonderful. And we're going to tra- change gears over here a little bit. Um, we're going to be talking about Little Apple Pride with co-chair Jonathan Mertz. Jonathan, thanks for being here with me, and I don't think I've had a chance to meet you yet. So, I, uh, one, first of all, nice to meet you. It's nice meeting you, too. <laughs> first, I, before we get into some of the preview and talking about the, the event coming up, I want to get to know you, and for those who haven't had a chance to get to know you as well, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and how long you've been involved in Little Apple Pride. Uh,
3: well, uh, I am a Manhattan local native, Uh native. I was born at the old Memorial Hospital on Sunset. So for some people, that's going to tell them how old I am. (laughs) Uh, Grew up on a farm outside of town, went to school at Huamigo. And like a lot of people, I moved away and then I came back. And uh, I've been back in Manhattan for 14 years. And I've been involved with Little Apple Pride or other similar organizations, gosh, almost since I came back, uh, have been co-chair now for a couple of years. Uh, Although Pride itself, because of COVID, just when I took over, we had a big Pride scheduled and then suddenly it couldn't happen anymore. (laughs) So that was my first experience actually being a chair of Pride. But now we're finally able to, uh, we got the ball rolling and we're able to to get back and and have a pride for the community
0: yeah it's unfortunate a lot of, i know a lot of events had to had to go by the wayside and a lot of mm-hmm. just in general community participation went by the wayside so it's nice to have things coming back again uh, this specific event the 2022 little apple pride parade and festivals coming up saturday april 23rd and it starts at 11 30 this or at least yeah. this year
3: yes uh actually it's the parade that starts at 11 30. And we're doing a very different route than the traditional start downtown and and go up to City Park. Uh, People who want to be in the parade, we're meeting at the swimming pool parking lot at 1130 and kicking off from there. We will basically swoop around the park, uh, come down through Aggieville, and then back around and back into City Park. And what we encourage people to do, because a lot of people say, gosh, I'd like to march in the parade, but I'd like to watch it. Uh, what we are encouraging people to do is to uh, stand along the parade route, uh, cheer on the people as they go by, and then jump in at the end and walk the rest of the way to us. And, and uh, we did that for the first time in 2019, and we started out with just a few people downtown. By the time we got to the park, we had several hundred people, and we'd love to see that happen again this year.
0: And if you want to maybe participate in an official capacity, I know there were sign-ups for participating in the parade as well. Is it too late to do that?
3: Uh, No. uh, The the vendor, you can be on a waiting list for the vendors, but frankly, for the parade, if you just show up, if you're a community group or organization, uh, you can join us. Uh, We do basically have you sign an agreement that you do support LGBTQ rights. Uh, you know, because we want everyone in the parade to be people who support us, and uh, and then you can just jump in the parade and and show up that morning if you want.
0: Do you, is that is this the uh, first year back since the pandemic? Um, I, I was I wasn't around much in twenty twenty one. I took a break to do some K State work, so I wasn't mm-hmm. fully aware of exactly if you held an event. Uh,
3: this is the first true pride. Uh, that we have had since the pandemic. Last year in June, we had a picnic at Blue Earth Plaza uh, because June is traditionally around the world known as uh, Pride Month. Manhattan's unique in that we do our pride celebration in April. Uh, but we kind of threw together, we were like, yeah, we can do this. We kind of threw together just a picnic and had some community groups. We had over 500 people show up. We didn't know if anyone would come, but it was packed. It was really great. So we're anticipating a pretty large group uh, this Saturday, weather permitting.
0: And I know in 2020, there was kind of like a, an online photo like collage and photo sharing that went on in, yes. in, in lieu of an event as well. And that seemed like a really creative way to go about crea- continuing to have a community atmosphere, but you know, not being able to get the FaceTime that probably would have been preferred, of course.
3: Yeah, we basically did a uh, FaceTime live Um, And, you know, I look at it now and it's like, oh my gosh, that was like, but (laughs) (laughs) we had just been canceled just like a, a few weeks before. And this was before any of us knew about this stuff called Zoom. And things like that, and so it was literally thrown together. So I'm really proud that we were able to do it, and we really got a great response. And you could really tell it was important for members of our community for for this for that to have happened.
0: And uh, as we talk about the upcoming 2022 event, uh, I imagine there's a lot of work that go that had to go into doing this, and um, I. Tell me a little bit about all that you've had to do to make this work and also the volunteers that you probably still may need to facilitate this upcoming Saturday.
3: Sure. Well, we started uh, setting up some goals last fall. Uh, we decided we, we were going to still have a pride, but even then, there were a lot of questions <laughs> as to whether or not it would be possible. Uh, but we decided to go ahead and start planning. We have a planning committee, that, and thank you to all the committee members, if any of them are listening. Uh, it's been great having your support and uh, we just started to put things together now to be honest we are out a little practice so if you come i'm quite sure some things might not go as planned but we're learning and, and we'll have something even bigger and better next year um but yeah, you know, we've gotten great community support, and then we started to do one of our most popular fundraisers. We do drag bingo, and we did several of those throughout the year, and those have been great fundraisers. And uh, just some smaller events. We did drag story time uh, just last Saturday, and that had a great response. And, uh, you know, we just did some smaller things, building community, because that's a lot of what this is about, is to build community and to create awareness. Um there's a lot, that's why I really appreciate being on this show because there's a lot of people out there who are between the military and just people moving in and out of Manhattan and the students who are looking to make a connection, who aren't aware that this exists. And uh, so, any way we can get out the word, we greatly appreciate. We are, of course, still looking for volunteers. Uh, we could use some help the day of Pride and it might just be monitoring the crowd it might be helping with the kids craft by the way we are going to have a kids' zone this year with crafts and activities for kids and animals from the milford nature center so that'll be a lot of fun this is an all-ages event um then we will of course have drag queens performing so there's something for the adults too and uh now i've lost my train of thought but uh, uh if you go to our Facebook page, just look up Little Apple Pride on Facebook, scroll down, you'll see there's a volunteer Google form, at uh, Google doc, and people can sign up if they're interested in helping out and volunteering that day.
0: And, and you talk a little bit about um, sort of the community building atmosphere or the, or the uh, interest involved in this and also the um, awareness interest involved in this as mm-hmm. well. And I'm curious, just from your perspective, maybe how community awareness and interest has changed here in the Riley County, Manhattan area over the last however many years that you've noticed? Uh,
3: Well, you know, it's, it's like a lot of places, it's a mixed bag. I'm very proud of Manhattan and Riley County. It was one of the first communities in the state to add sexual orientation and gender identity to its Human Rights Ordinance. Uh, making it illegal within the city to discriminate to people based on their sexual orientation or gender identity. And and we've been on the forefront. A lot of people are very surprised. There's a big national organization called HRC, and they do uh, annual reports across the country, ratings of communities. And Manhattan is usually the highest rated uh, LGBTQ friendly community in the state. Uh, I know a lot of people expect it to be we'll just say that town down the river, but we're doing a really great job here. Uh, And Kansas State is always recognized as being one of the most supportive uh, uh, campuses in the country. They're regularly on the uh, top 10 campus index. So there are some great things happening here. Unfortunately, uh, you know, we have to be honest, it's not perfect. We've had we've noticed more negative comments on our Facebook posts, I'll just say that this year, um, about our events. And that's very disheartening. And so we really do support, we really do depend upon the support of our allies and our friends to to uh, be there for us in the community, but also for us to stand up and represent ourselves. The other thing I, I always point out every year, sadly there's many people who would love to come to pride but they're afraid to come to pride uh, they're not out They're um, they're in a situation where they don't feel safe and so oftentimes I say that pride is as much for them as for us because uh, I remember when I was in my 20s and closeted at K-State uh, going to campus and um, You know, knowing that the the LGBT group was meeting on campus and there was no way I was going to the meeting, but just being aware of it really made me feel better at that point in my life. And so I hope we're there for those people also.
0: Jonathan, I hate to jump in and cut you off, but that's all the time for today. NewsRadioKMAN.com for more on this event.